1: <laughs> Traditionally, we who go to doctors and who buy medicine and who check in and out of hospitals have been known as patients. But somewhere along the line, we patients started to be called consumers, a term that suggests things like choice and competition and value for money. And if we are consumers of healthcare, then who would know best how to provide to these consumers? Well, in the last year we've seen a sudden surge of consumer-oriented companies trying to figure out how to get into healthcare in a big way, like Amazon partnering with a bank and with Warren Buffett with plans to figure out their own healthcare system for their combined million-plus employees, like CVS, the pharmacy, buying Aetna, the insurance company. They say they know consumers, they know data, and they know how to deliver value. Are they onto something? Well, we think this has the makings of a debate, so let's have it. Yes or no to this statement. Retail alliances, not Washington, will save the U.S. healthcare system. I'm John Donvan, and I stand between two teams of two who are experts in this topic who will argue for and against the resolution. As always, our debate will go in three rounds, and then our audience here at the Mayo Clinic's Annual Transform Conference in Rochester, Minnesota, will choose the winner. And as always, if all goes well, civil discourse will also win. Our resolution, Retail Alliances Not Washington, will save the U.S. healthcare system. Let's meet our debaters, starting with the team arguing for the motion. Please, ladies and gentlemen, welcome Rajay Batniji. Rishay, welcome to Intelligence Squared. You are a physician, you are a political economist, you are the co-founder and chief health officer at Collective Health. But before all of this, you spent a lot of time in academia. You studied history at Stanford, you went to med school, you studied political economics at Oxford. So tell us, why did you leave academia to start a startup?
2: Impatience. (laughs) In all seriousness, creating a company to create the change that we need in the healthcare system allows us to move at a much faster pace than, frankly, writing a paper and hoping it lands in the right desk. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, Rajay Batnici.
1: And Rajay, you have a worthy partner. Please welcome, ladies and gentlemen, Greg Slager. Hi, Greg, and welcome to Intelligence Squared. You are a senior partner at Ernst & Young, global health transaction leader and one of the founders of the company's global health sector. Back in 1979... You were a business major in college, and you won the Calvin Talent Show's grand prize for doing what? Well, it was a rock and roll
3: band at a conservative school that was used to a cappella choirs and barbershop quartets, so
1: set off quite fireworks. You shook, shook things up, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. All right, good to good, hear. Good right. fun. We'll see how you shake things up here in this debate. I want to thank the team arguing for the motion. And, of course, we have two debaters arguing against it. Please first welcome Dr. Lisa Bielamavich. Lisa, welcome to Intelligence Squared. You are a physician. You're co-founder and president of GIST Healthcare. You have said that you are passionate about increasing the pace of transformation in healthcare. Passion this is a strong word. Where does that come from?
4: So like almost every physician I know, when I was clinically practicing, I was frustrated on a daily basis that the system kept me from being able to do what I thought was best for patients. And like almost every doctor I know, I complained a lot. And I finally had a moment and said I could keep complaining or I could start to change how the system works. So that's what I'm trying to do.
1: Something in common with one of your opponents, actually. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. Thanks again, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, Lisa Bilimovich. And, again, a worthy debater. Please welcome, ladies and gentlemen, Rosemary Day. (laughs) Welcome to Intelligence Squared, Rosemary. You are a founder, CEO of Day Health Strategies. And before that, interesting government work. You were the founding deputy director and chief operating officer of the Health Connector in Massachusetts and chief operating officer for the Massachusetts Medicaid program. Your forthcoming book is titled get woke about health coverage action steps to take for yourself your family and the nation so tell us in this context health coverage what does it mean to get woke
5: it means that we need to get informed and we need to get active
1: simple as that simple as that okay ladies and gentlemen the team arguing against this resolution And so let's move on to round one. In round one, we have opening statements from each debater in turn. The resolution again. Retail alliances, not Washington, will save the U.S. healthcare system. Speaking first for the resolution, please welcome Greg Slager, senior partner and global health transactions leader at Ernst & Young. Ladies and gentlemen, Greg Slager.
3: We all have a lot of pain in the system. We've all experienced that. I won't take you through it all, but... We have the fragmentation of care. We have information silos. We have difficulty in getting access to care and getting appointments. And then the bills come in too. And you can't figure them out. That's because we have costs that are out of control. $3.3 trillion in in healthcare expenditures in 2016. 18% of our GDP. $10,348 per person. That's per person that we spend on healthcare. It is out of control. And the sad thing is, outcomes rank last against developed nations with similar economics as ours. We are last, last, last. Have the highest mortality rate amenable to healthcare. We have the highest error rates. We have the longest wait times, with the exception of Canada. And then we also have twice as many avoidable emergency room visits as any other country. We've been trained by our online experience and what we want out of a consumer interaction. And we want that experience in healthcare. What customers are looking for, they're looking for choice. They're looking for quality. They're looking for costs. And we don't have that now. We don't have that transparency. So the government isn't very good with consumers. When's the last time you went to your DMV to try to get a license? You want to see the consumer experience there. Consumer-centric retail alliances will help drive access and convenience, enhance the customer experience, and actually kick up innovation as well. So retail health models, they're a key step to cost-effective care anytime, anywhere. Retailers have scale. They can also activate through multiple channels. The engagement that they have with their customers, through their stores, through their clinics, through their doctors, through their nurses, through their websites, through their apps, through the email, through the text. With innovation, tech and consumer product companies are creating amazing devices, wearables, implantables, digestibles, things that can measure many of the vital signs that can give early indications of diseases. So I'm not saying that government doesn't have a role here. Government has a very, very important role. But it's to support retail, it's to support innovation. It's not to drive the cart, it's to help push it. Most importantly, to put the infrastructure in place, to gather evidence, to implement appropriate regulation. Because we need regulation at the speed of innovation not innovation at the speed of regulation. The retail alliance advantages are many. They have the appetite and the will. Does government have the will to change the system, to make the changes necessary here? They aren't encumbered by the legacy costs and the legacy inefficiencies, the inertia that's caused by all those people that profit off the inefficiencies. And then the customer centricity and engagement, which can actually nudge people into healthy behaviors, into healthy choices. Lastly, they're agnostic to politics. It's not gonna change every four years. These are ongoing, long-term investments to really make a difference in the healthcare system. It's time for a new approach to healthcare. Retail, not Washington, will help save healthcare.
1: Thank you, Greg Slager. And that is our resolution, Retail Alliances, not Washington, will save the US healthcare system. And here to speak first, against the resolution, Dr. Lisa Bilamovich co-founder and president of Just Healthcare. Ladies and gentlemen, Lisa Bilamovich
4: Well, I'm going to start with a little self-help moment. Hello, my name is Lisa. I'm a doctor, and I take my kids to the CVS Minute Clinic. Ten-year-old in fifth grade, you know how it is, your kids start school Friday evening, sore throat, fever to 102. You guys tell me, what does she have? Strep throat. Absolutely. It's Friday evening. She needs antibiotics. I don't prescribe anymore. The doctor's office is closed. So what do we do at 8 p.m.? We go down to CVS. We put our name on the list. We mill around looking at magazines and hairbrushes. The better part of an hour, we get seen by the nurse practitioner. We are out in an hour and a half. Antibiotic in hand. She's back in school on Monday. There was something with this visit. It hit a very important value proposition. It was convenient. But was it going to the doctor? Is it going to replace my daughter's pediatrician? Absolutely not. You know what it felt like? It felt like we were meeting with the nurse across a card table in a broom closet in the back of CVS. Served a point, but is it truly transformative? And I am not up here to convince you that Washington and the government is going to be the main change agent, but I want to give you some thoughts about what retailers would have to do If they're going to truly transform healthcare, I think there's two things that are really important. Are they in it to really change the system? What's their motive for getting into healthcare? Are they going to tackle the really big problems, the big cost drivers that are the reason that we are 30% more expensive than the next highest spending Western country? And more importantly, will patients like you trust retailers to help them make those big healthcare decisions? Take CVS. You know who their biggest obstacle is? The store manager. That guy is bonused on revenue per square foot, how much dog food and shampoo you buy when you are in CVS. He doesn't like a dozen people with the flu mingling around in the back of the store. Now take Walmart. I spent some time with them in Bentonville, Arkansas. Walmart will tell you why are they interested in healthcare? Yeah, there's a lot of money there. They think they can make money on it. But they're more concerned about you and how much your healthcare costs. They think we are spending so much money as individuals that it is hampering our shopping power. They think if they can lower healthcare costs, they could increase their revenue by 3 to 5%. They want to get into healthcare so that you can buy more junk from Walmart. Quick care leading to quick profits. Any of us who've been in healthcare know that change doesn't come quickly. It's frustrated venture capitalists. And if they're going to really make a dent in health care, it can't just be about primary care. That's 7% of total health care spend. I think we all agree it should be more, but it is what it is. It can't even just be about pharmaceuticals. That's about 10% of health care spend. You have to tackle the big stuff. Hospital care, specialty care, the 10% of patients who account for 80% of costs who have really big, significant problems going on. And I started to think about that visit to the Minute Clinic. Are they interested in figuring out which hospital you should go to? Are you interested in having them tell you you have to believe that you would trust them to be your partner when it's your turn to walk through the hospital door?
1: Dr. Lisa Belamovich, co founder of GIST Healthcare. Will retail alliances, not Washington, save the US healthcare system? That debate continues. More opening statements in just a moment. This is Intelligence Squared U.S. Next Thursday, October 11th, Intelligence Squared U.S. will be live at the K Playhouse Theater in New York City. we Will debating the resolution "Progressive Populism Will Save the Democratic Party." Jeff Weaver, who managed Bernie Sanders' 2016 campaign, will be teaming up with MoveOn.org's Karine Jean-Pierre to argue for that resolution. They are up against Third Way's Jonathan Cohen and Obama administration alum Stephen Ratner they'll be arguing against. We still have a few tickets available, so you can visit IQ2US.org to buy yours, or text the letters IQ and the number 2 to 797979, and you'll get a link sent right to you. And a reminder of where we are. We are halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan. We have four debaters, two teams of two, fighting it out over this resolution. Retail alliances, not Washington, will save the U.S. healthcare system. You have heard the first two opening statements. And now on to the third to debate for the resolution, Dr. Rajay Batniji, co-founder and chief health officer at Collective Health. Ladies and gentlemen,
2: Rajay Batniji. Nobody knew healthcare could be so complicated.
4: <laughs>
2: so explained President Trump last year. He continued Let it be a failure, we'll blame it on the Democrats. Washington cannot save our healthcare system. Washington responds more to the interests of pharmaceutical companies, big health insurers, and hospital systems than it does all of us who are accessing care. Hospital payments since 2000 up 60%. Pharmaceutical costs up 69%. It was a Democratic administration that took affordability out of the Affordable Care Act and gave a multi-year, multi-billion dollar concession to big insurers so that they would support the bill. It was a Republican administration who gave up Medicare's ability to negotiate drug prices for seniors. The result, insulin, which cost $20 a few years ago for a senior, now costs that senior $700. Keep in mind, American employers are paying 88% of private health insurance costs, 88%. Paying for that proton beam machine the hospital didn't really need because there's a very suitable one right next door. Paying for that fancy new wing. And this cost comes back into our Medicare costs because now the federal government also has to keep these hospitals afloat who have built these institutions to get more revenue from the private sector because they could, they were unchecked and unrestrained. Employers are beginning to take action. And when Warren Buffett says that he and his fellow CEOs are attacking the hungry tapeworm that is eating at the American economy, they mean it. Recognizing that we can move from a system of healthcare that is sponsored by employers to one that is driven by them, that goes towards outcomes that focuses on improving the health and wellness of our people and the bottom lines of our economy. There's another beacon of hope, too, that I see. Retail. Look at the cost of LASIK eye surgery, down 30% over the last 10 years. Nothing else in healthcare decreases in cost. As technologies improve, improved, the costs have come down. We always see the inverse in health care. Even specialty surgeries. Look at the Surgery Center of Oklahoma, where you can get on Google and you get a price list for a knee replacement, and it's 20% of the cost of a competing institution. Who will have the incentive to reshape pharmaceutical distribution and care delivery and move us out of a world of secret negotiations where the winner negotiates the best deal into a world where we are rewarding the best, Service. Over the last two years, Washington has moved to defund the Children's Health Insurance Program, defund Planned Parenthood. The House passed a bill that seeks to remove $1.5 trillion from Medicaid and $500 billion from Medicare. A court system that is set on taking away a woman's right to choose. Washington is coordinating an assault on the health of women, children, the elderly, and the poor. We have an American economy and a set of incentives in retail and employer enterprises that are looking to take it back to prove that America can save the healthcare system.
1: Thank you, Ratney Ratniji. And our final speaker will be arguing against the motion Retail Alliances, not Washington, will save the US healthcare system. Founder and CEO of Day Health Strategies, please welcome Rosemary Day.
5: So the United States has some of the most innovative, life-saving treatments in the world. But for the 28 million uninsured Americans, those treatments are completely out of reach. And for the 82 million Americans who have health insurance but can barely afford, they are deferring care and not getting the care they need, which actually puts their lives at risk. It's actually the American workers who are fueling our economy. It's the delivery drivers who bring Amazon's packages to your door and other people in the gig economy, which happens to be one of the biggest growing segments in our economy. They don't have health insurance and their only option for health care is to either cross their fingers or show up in the ER. We lag way behind comparable countries. We lag behind in other measures. You've heard the other debaters talk about this, cost, quality, and access. In fact, we actually spend twice as much in this country, and we get half the results. If you want to address cost, quality, and access for all, then retail is not enough. We spend 18% of our GDP on health care. Other countries spend 10%. If you go to CVS, they can provide you with some convenience, and that's great, but that's not actually addressing the major cost drivers in our system. If we look at quality measures, things like hospital admissions from preventable disease or life expectancy, we lag behind other countries. It's frankly kind of embarrassing. To improve those quality measures, we really need to invest outside of healthcare into the social determinants of health. Retail alliances are for-profit they leave people out, and they don't have the scale. A retailer's bottom line is really not society's bottom line. They are not oriented towards doing the common good. They need paying customers. They take a short-term view. They have to. Their priority is their shareholders, not what's good for society. If you're a low-income Medicaid customer and you have a lot of different complex needs or you're an Amazon driver in between gigs, retailers don't really see you as a money-making opportunity. If we turn to employers, they insure less than half of our population. The scale of the employers who can actually drive change is very small. And when you look at the alliances like Amazon, Berkshire Hathaway, J.P. Morgan, they only cover a tiny fraction, a million In fact, it's government that has that scale. Government is playing an increasingly large role in the role of payer, both for Medicare and Medicaid. And if we look at that silver tsunami that's coming at us, that's only going to grow. Retail alliances are not enough. Washington actually has to be part of the solution. When you look at the healthcare industry, it is unique. It's actually full of market failures like monopolies, short-term incentives, all kinds of things that the private sector won't solve on its own. We need Washington at the table. We have to have retail employers. They are necessary, but they're not sufficient. Other developed nations have actually made that successful. They provide overwhelming proof that this can happen. We don't need scattershot solutions. We need a better functioning system.
1: Thank you, Rosemary Day. And that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate where our resolution is retail alliances, not Washington, will save the U.S. healthcare system. Now we move on to round two. And in round two, the debaters address one another directly. They also take questions from me and from you, our audience here at the Mayo Transform Conference. Uh, The resolution, again, retail alliances, not Washington, will save the U.S. healthcare system. We have two debaters arguing in support of this motion, Rajay Batniji and Greg Slager arguing that Washington is broken, that the U.S. in too many categories is last, 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 that the government does not know how to serve consumers that the retailers know how to scale, that they have multiple ways to reach not just their employees, but also their customers. They ask rhetorically the question, who really has the incentive to fix the problem and to reward the best service and do so with transparency? And their answer to that is the American employer with an emphasis on the retail sector. The team arguing against the motion, Lisa Bilamovich and Rosemary Day, they say they are not arguing that Washington is the sole solution, but they are definitely saying that going to a clinic, such as Walmart's may be convenient but it's just not the same thing as going to the doctor. They question the motives of these retailers. They say that they cannot scale the kind of healthcare that needs to be delivered system wide is not just primary care but really the big big problems and they don't see these companies getting interested in that. A lot of area of disagreement and I want to work through some of it. But I want to start to you Greg Slager, you're both of your opponents argued that retail companies' ultimate loyalty is to shareholders, not to the health of their employees or the health of their customers. It's just a fact of life. Gives the lie to the whole notion that we should be trusting them to take on this job. What's your response to that?
3: First off, I think that if you're lowering your healthcare costs for your employees so you can buy more goods, she called it junk. There's a big portion of America that doesn't think it's junk and it's survival for them. I think that that's important because what you've done is you've gave them choice. You've reduced health costs, which is not a choice, and you've gave them choice. CVS took cigarettes out of their store. Two billion dollars of sales, gone, overnight, because they want to be viewed as a health provider. They are building trust. They're becoming more mission-based. Not sick care. This is health care. This is helping them live healthier lives. This is helping them with nutrition. This is keeping them going. Those are the big problems. I mean, you look at diabetes and heart well, disease. L- l-
1: actually, let me stop there yeah. because you've made quite a few points. I just want to let your opponents respond to some of what you're saying. And if you talking Bill and health
4: sure. and wellness, I mean, is CVS really interested in that? I'll agree that they waved the flag on cigarettes, but I was out in one in California a couple of weeks ago. There was still liquor and Cheetos all over the place. They are still selling those high-profit items. Giving patients low income or high income the choice of a $60 cash primary care visit versus going to the doctor which if I have to pay cash for it, it's probably 120, 150 bucks is a very important choice. But by changing that calculus, are we going to tackle the really big cost drivers in healthcare?
2: Rajay, Dr. Vilamovic, you make a great point in a few pieces that you wrote recently. 4 months ago you wrote an article titled Walmart will bring everyday low prices to healthcare where you actually made the case that Walmart wouldn't just provide healthcare services in their stores, but they were going to be able to provide primary care to low-cost insurance products, steering members to preferred hospitals. You took the argument further than I would. Uh, Just two months ago, and I quote, "Amazon's scale will allow them to negotiate prices in a way that the drug industry has never seen before. And you continued, they have a company ethic of returning these kinds of savings to consumers. So, Dr. Blumovitz, I think you've made our argument more impassioned right, so than I it's would. So it's the old use the debater's words against her <laughs> trick. <laughs> well, go for I, it.
4: Primary care is seven percent of healthcare spend. They are definitely going to change the way that primary care is delivered. I hope, both as a consumer and a physician, that Amazon comes in and pulls the rug out from drug companies. That's at best ten to fifteen percent of spend. And remember how much of the drug spend is stuff that actually happens in pharmacies. A lot of it is in other places. Amazon's not going to touch that. When you look at other retailers, look at CVS. What are they in addition to being a retailer? Well, let's look at their balance sheet. $177 billion of annual revenue. $120 billion of that comes from being a pharmacy benefits manager, one of those secretive middlemen who makes tons of money off of you and me and the employers by negotiating and coming up with secret drug prices, I would argue, are they a retailer or are they a middleman when you actually look at the company?
1: Greg Slager into some of that. And and some of what I think your opponent is saying is that benefits that you're talking about that the retailers may provide are real to the extent that they go, but she's saying that they touch such a small part of the problem. The resolution will save the U.S. healthcare system. That's a big, big target. And also Rosemary Day made the same point. The retailers can't scale to the real size of the problem.
3: I don't agree with that. I mean, if you look at the top two pharmacy chains, they have 20,000 retail locations amongst them. So um, we have 5,500 hospitals in this country. If you look at, you know, the large retailers like the Walmarts and other things, you're adding another 10 or 15,000 locations here too. So, and a lot of them are in rural locations too that are underserved, that can't get to a doctor. 40% of them don't have primary care physicians. So this is the only place that they're going to get their care. And a lot of them, have these diabetes, they have heart disease, they have the big contributors to the 5% that make up 50% of our healthcare dollars. So if they can engage with them and they can help manage behaviors and they can do more preventive type activities, whether or not it makes more profit to them because they buy more things. I mean, if it's, it's reducing our cost of care, that's big.
5: Let me take
1: it to Rosemary Day.
5: There's actually evidence that the retailers in these clinics and such do not try to locate in areas that are underserved. We were looking at a study in Chicago that showed there were actual blackout areas where the retailers wouldn't go because they don't see it as a money-making place to have a clinic. Pharmacy deserts.
1: But Jay, your team is arguing that the retailers come with specific skills and advantages that, that can be scaled. But I want to talk about what those skills and advantages are. What are they good
2: at with consumers and also the use of data that you are arguing gives them an advantage? When you go into that retail clinic, they know who you are, they know about you. But that's actually not the entirety of the story. It's actually more to me about how their incentives are aligned and how they're competing. They're competing to be the most convenient solution, to be the lowest cost solution for you. In today's world, who gets rewarded is who strikes the best backroom deal. And in the future, who gets rewarded is who provides the best service at the best price and takes care of the member and delivers outcomes. Okay, let me take, take
1: back to
4: Lisa. I really find it interesting. You mentioned in your opening remarks Surgery Center of Oklahoma. I know those guys. They're a bunch of orthopedic surgeons who opened an ambulatory surgery center.
1: So, why are you not considering that retail? What's your. Because
4: they're still operating within the traditional confines of employer-sponsored insurance. They do see Medicare patients as well. They do contracting with the state of Oklahoma. They are a very traditional provider that has existed for decades who is very smartly taking some ideas from the retail world and applying them to make the traditional system better. All right,
1: you've made quite a strong point, actually. I just want to know how you respond to it.
2: They are bringing a retail approach to healthcare, and that's what we need. That's what every employer in America is driving toward. What they seek to do... It is to reward quality, to work directly with provider systems, so it's easy for them all to replicate what we've created in the retail space clear, simple transactions and rewarding for value.
4: I agree that Amazon, Berkshire Hathaway, J.P. Morgan has some Amazon juju, but why haven't other employer alliances, like the Health Transformation Alliance, which had IBM, HCA, over two dozen large companies, they haven't done anything apart from cutting a few drug company contracts.
1: I want to let the other two voices (laughs) into the conversation uh, here now. Um, Rosemary, you made the point that a retailer's bottom line is not society's bottom line. saying actually those two things are not in conflict with each other necessarily. They're saying the incentives are aligned and that a CVS or any other provider at this scale would have absolutely every motive to have happy customers, happy consumers getting the healthcare they need. So there's not that conflict there.
5: The key is who can actually be a customer. It has to be somebody who has a way to pay for something. They have to have an ability to pay. And so whether that's coming out of their pocket or the employer that's covering their insurance or they're on the Medicaid program, and that's actually a government subsidy, somehow there has to be some money for the transaction. And there are a lot of people who don't have access to any of those things I just mentioned, and so they're shut out. So we don't have... 100% customer base, and that's where retail's bottom line is not society's. But
1: but they've been making the argument that, in fact, it's people of lesser means who are able to take advantage of things like a Minute Clinic at a Walmart or a CVS, that they're not cut out, that they have more opportunity and choice than they would otherwise.
5: To some limited extent, but there are still people who simply can't even access that.
1: Greg Slager.
3: If they can't access that, they probably can't access other care facilities as well so I think there is a better chance that they can access cure in a retail environment too because think about retail as well I mean the reason why they're lower cost is because they're subsidizing the bricks and mortar they don't have these towers they don't have these ivory towers full of doctors that get baked into the prices Those are rock bottom prices.
4: And we talk about the ivory tower. What about the ivory ICU? I don't see Walmart having a $4 ICU or a $4 operating room. Thank you. So,
5: the better point for me to make is actually that it's not just about the sniffles that a minute clinic can deal with, it's the more intensive needs that they're shut out of.
2: Rajay. I don't think we're arguing that you're going to go and get a triple coronary bypass in a Target dressing room, uh, nor are we arguing that government should completely abdicate its role. And, and Rosemary, with all due respect, the argument that employers are only covering half of America and therefore can't exert change on the system just doesn't hold water. Employers are the largest payer in the healthcare system, and they're the business-class passengers. They're paying the highest prices to these provider systems. Employers do have the ability to exert their power and get prices under control. Federal programs will benefit from that by having lower prices and a more responsible system where we contain runaway growth.
5: Well, that's really interesting, because why are they paying almost twice as much as Medicare for the exact same things? That actually suggests that government has more of the power to influence prices than the employers have shown to date.
1: Rosemary Day, founder and CEO of Day Health Strategies, arguing that employers don't have the power to control the rising cost of health care. We'll hear the other side in just a moment and questions from the audience on Intelligence Squared U.S. Intelligence Squared U.S. is growing, and we are now producing more debates on more topics than ever before, and that means we're also hiring. We are looking for a research associate to help our editorial team plan these debates. To learn more, visit IQ2US.org. That's IQ, the number two, US.org. I'm John Donvan. This is Intelligence Squared U.S., and we're in the middle of round two in debating this topic. Will retail alliances, not Washington, save the U.S. healthcare system? Just before the break, Dr. Rajay Batniji was making the point that employer alliances are the answer to the
2: problem of health care costs. And that's what these employer alliances are all about getting employers to work directly with the provider systems and finally exert their control. And that will drive down costs.
4: I mean, when you talk about employers exerting control, I am all for it. But when you get right down to it, large employers are only a third of all employed Americans. My family owns a John Deere dealership outside of Houston, Texas. My mother who manages the benefits doesn't have the time, bandwidth, or knowledge to not go through an intermediary to help them find good health care for their couple of dozen employees. Completely different game for the folks who work for small businesses. And I would
5: add that insurers have been that intermediary, and they've often been accused of having a lot of power, maybe sometimes too much, in certain markets. And yet, they struggle when they go up against some of the large provider systems that have been increasingly consolidating and assembling their market power and almost, in a sense, being able to set prices. Okay, So where can an employer alliance... It feels a little like David and Goliath to me.
1: I want to let the other side respond, and then I want to come to your questions. Which of you would like to respond to, Greg? Uh, I, I would,
3: I would. To address that issue, and those are good points that you're making here too. But when you're thinking about saving, you're thinking about the future and not the past. And when I think about innovation and tech companies and and consumer product companies, and what they're bringing to the table here too are these demand aggregation platforms. And the whole purpose of these, you've seen them disrupt other industries. They've disrupt travel, they've disrupt media, they've disrupted retail. 60% of purchases are made through a demand aggregation platform online from a retail perspective. And we're building those things to try to drive similar disruption. Aggregating employees, demand will encourage provider and supplier platform involvement too. And it's a virtuous cycle. We've seen it happen many, many times. This is where technology can help. It's a virtuous cycle. The more employers that come on board, then these alliances, and these small ones, and your family's business that could get on a platform, that could have care and supplies and whatnot delivered more price competitively and more transparency can really can change I, I, I,
1: have, I have to jump in so we can move on to audience questions. Sir... Uh, And if you could tell us your name, too, please.
2: My name is Venk Bellam Kanda. I live here in Rochester.
1: I function as an emergency doc. My question is what you think the government and retailers could do for the homeless and others who currently are being underserved. What about the homeless people? Which side would like to go first on that, Rajay, or...?
5: I'd like to hear from them.
3: Yeah. We totally agree that government has a role in here, too. And I think one place where we fail in this country, that other countries do a much better job of is in our social network and creating those safety nets. The government and retail should work together to figure something out like that. But I really do think that social care is really something that we really need to invest in.
2: I work as a physician. I used to work in homeless clinics in San Francisco, a city that is plagued by a significant homeless problem. Medicare and Medicaid are great negotiators. But you know, if I'm running a homeless clinic, which I've done in the past... Would I prefer to pay Medicare and Medicaid prices for a Band-Aid and Tylenol, or would I prefer to pay Amazon prices? The change in the distribution that we can have is going to be meaningful, and it's going to allow us to provide better care for the poor, and it's going to free us up to expand Medicaid. Government has a very important role to play in the future of our system. Our point is that government isn't going to save our system, but rather retailers and employer alliances are going to drive costs down, and the homeless will benefit from that, as will the weakest of all Americans.
1: From the other side, in response to that question?
5: So I think that there's still going to be the forgotten people until they actually have some money to put on the table. Government needs to play that role to not forget about, particularly folks who are homeless. And our country does very poorly relative to others in terms of our investment in social services. So that's something that we have to have the collective will to do. Retailers can partner in that. I think there are innovative programs. I do like
4: the idea of a trickle-down health care benefits to the homeless. Employers and retailers are going to lower costs, and it'll make its way to... Nobody made that argument. (laughs) What I would like to give every homeless person access to is a federally qualified health center, which provides fantastic primary care and mental health benefits to a lot of Americans. Federally qualified.
1: If you could tell us your name, too, please.
3: Thank you. My name is Spencer Merchant from Minneapolis, Minnesota. I work for uh, the insurance side how are the retail agencies going to transform clinical care? You've spoken mostly about price points and negotiation. and
1: What does this future really look like? Yeah. That's in both sense. Yeah, uh, Greg, do you want to take that?
3: It's going to evolve. Yeah, more money is going into consulting rooms and expanding the care facilities and, uh, and these large retailers. Some of these entities, I mean, there are food deserts and there are pharmacy deserts too, but some of these retailers, they're effectively the community centers. They know all the people in the neighborhood. They come in. Walmart has 150 million visitors to their stores every year. You know, the engagement that they have with the folks in their community, I think it's going to help them In terms of preventable care, I think the health care as opposed to sick care, I think it's going to stop ER admissions too. They've got a built-in advantage, I mean, because people are going there, they they got the convenience, they got the access, they're also subsidized, as I mentioned, I mean, their buildings are subsidized, so it can continue to drive lower cost care throughout the continuum.
1: I'd like to get the other side to respond on that point. And the reason in my own reporting around the country, there are parts of the country I now go to where the downtown, small downtown is gone because Walmart came to town. But you know what? Walmart replaced it. Walmart is the village square. There is a sense of community there. So your opponents are arguing that that sense of community is a real tangible, positive thing to be taken into account in this debate. I just want to see what your response is to that.
5: So it's hard for me to judge whether Walmart really is creating a sense of community compared to like that mom-and-pop pharmacy where they knew you over the long term. You know, maybe in some spots that's true, but I really see Walmart as a... Pretty big corporation cycling millions of people through its doors every day. I'm hard pressed to see a true community there, unlike what we talk about with a federally qualified health center or a doctor who has a long term relationship with their patient. So I do think it's different.
1: Mm-hmm. I want to go to a question here.
5: Hi, I'm Hannah Barton. I'm from the University of Wisconsin Madison. And we've
1: spoken a little bit about how you need money to access the system as it exists today, but what about? the incentive that retail has to actually create a future where you then have money to participate in retail in a way that are, I would to be before. But are you seeing that dynamic as an argument to support the side, or as a challenge to the four side? For both sides. Okay, okay, okay let's take... The reason I, I asked that question is I thought I actually heard that's the only reason that Walmart is interested in bringing down healthcare costs is so that you would have more money to spend on other products in Walmart. You didn't actually argue whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but a phenomenon. But I want to take it to the other side first: the dynamic of these retailers, I think, having a motive, or or just an effect of putting more spending money in people's pockets because their health care costs have gone down.
3: Well, as I mentioned, I think that's a good thing because what you've done is you've moved something that was not by choice to something that is by choice, something that's a burden to something that's an opportunity. Think about those families and what they need in their, their life. Do they need to pay more for health care or more for other you know, food and essentials to help the social determinants and help the other impacts on health
1: outside of just visiting the health system? So Lisa, why is that a bad thing? If they drive down costs and you can buy more stuff at Walmart, why is... So, well, so
4: there's two points. First being, okay, they might free up a little bit of your disposable income by changing how you buy a drug or get a flu shot, or a sore throat visit, that's a fantastic thing. But if they're really going to transform the system, you're going to have to trust a retailer to partner with you on something like cancer care. Are you ready for that? Are you going to like Walmart telling you where you have to go to get your chemotherapy? I would also not go directly to retail is the only solution that can free up more of our disposable income from healthcare. Um, It may not be my necessary political stance, but a lot of people are arguing that Medicare for all would do that for the average American. So I think there are myriad ways we could get there.
1: Okay. I would love to continue with the question and answer section, but we are out of time. That concludes round two of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where our resolution is retail alliances, not Washington, will save the U.S. healthcare system. And now we move on to round three, where each of the debaters makes a closing statement. First, Greg Slager, senior partner and global health transaction leader at Ernst & Young. There's a follow-on to that question, actually. So,
3: I mean, I just want you to imagine everybody knows an Irene. Irene is 56 years old. She lives with her husband. She's on fixed income. She's got diabetes, and she's struggling with high blood pressure. She goes to her retailer once or twice a week with her husband to buy products that she typically buys that the retailer knows through its intimate relationship and engagement and through using data analytics. While she's in, she goes to the pharmacy, she refills a script, she buys some insulin strips. She stops to get her blood pressure tested to compare it to her home results. She's got one at home and it's been spiking a bit, so she goes into Walmart and for free she gets her her blood pressure taken. It's high. It's high. So she stops by the clinic to get some questions answered. And what they do is they put her on a telehealth monitor with a doctor who, who asks her about what's going on, any other kind of things in her life that may be causing these things, and then gives her a new prescription. So she goes and she pays for a generic $4. The retailer then sends her texts on, on care adherence and nutrition suggestions. So what the retailer is doing here is trying to address the chronic disease issues. It's trying to address the long-term disease issues, which are big cost considerations for our system. It's also keeping her out of the ER. I mean, 40% of these people that show up in these retail clinics don't have a primary care physician. They are serving a need, and they are really making an impact on cost of care. So contrast this with the old model of care. We'll build it, you will come, wherever we are, you'll pay whatever we are. That's not what retail is all about. So, we want you to understand that retail can fix this problem much better
1: than government. Thank you, Greg Slager. Thank you. Making her closing against the motion, Lisa Bilimovich, co founder and president of GIST Healthcare.
4: We are a long way away from a retailer providing comprehensive health services. Remember my visit to the retail clinic? Nurse practitioner across a card table in a broom closet. Retailers will continue to up the game for convenient care. They might completely change that part of the system. But will retailers actually transform the system? Are they going to tackle the big cost drivers in healthcare, which are very sick patients, coming in for very intensive care needs. Changing primary care is fantastic. It needs to be done at 7% of all health care spend. But I would ask you, if you're going to vote yes, you would have to feel comfortable going to Walmart when you're worried you might have cancer and having them potentially direct you to a lower cost provider. I love everyday low prices. I am all for saving money and living better but I don't know if that will include my cancer care. Will you trust a retailer with your end-of-life health care decisions? Remember what large percentage of our country's health care spend is end-of-life. If you're going to truly transform the system, you can't just provide a telemedicine visit, you can't just provide a $4 low-cost generic drug, and you can't just be quick care. You have to be motivated to provide care to really sick patients and if you're not willing to answer yes to that question for yourself personally, then I think you have to vote no.
1: Thank you, Lisa Vilamovich. Again, the resolution, Retail Alliances, not Washington, will save the U.S. health care system, making his closing statement against the motion, Dr. Rajay Batniji, co-founder and chief health officer at Collective Health.
2: I see the urgency of fixing our health care system in every patient that I treat. And I recognize, like many of us that work in healthcare, I've been part of the problem. I've ordered a $1,200 bag of saline to save a patient's life, knowing that it cost my hospital a dollar or two. I know that I've created financial distress for my patient as he's been sent to collections, and that bill has my name on it, and I'm not proud of that. I know I've contributed to the profits of companies that have manipulated our governments and our markets. We simply can't afford a theoretical debate about who can fix health care. It needs to be a conversation about who can actually save it. I remember as a kid, I was rescued from the water. I like to go out over my head sometimes in the surf, and the lifeguard threw me a red flotation device and said, hang on to this thing like it's your mother, and he pulled me to shore. He didn't pay for my college education or my high school education or food or anything like that. My family and the government did. And that's what it means to save something, to pull it out of the turbulence and put it on dry land. Today, we're faced with a health system that needs saving. I have not heard my opponents make a single argument about how government can save our health care system. Not a single one. We've made several arguments about how retail can save our system and how employers working directly to take this system from a world of obscure contracts negotiate in dark smoke-filled rooms and clear out the smoke and turn on the lights and turn this into a transparent system where we know what we pay for and we pay for value. So let's turn on the lights and clear the smoke.
1: Thank you, Rajay Batniji. You're making her your closing statement against the motion. Rosemary Day, founder and CEO, Day Health Strategies.
5: Greg had Irene. I have Eloise. I'd like you to meet Eloise. She's someone I actually met when we were implementing health reform in Massachusetts. She was a 50-year-old woman, a single parent who had worked hard as a cleaning woman her whole life. She had no health insurance, and she was struggling to put her two sons through college. She was a very proud woman, but she wasn't proud of her fainting spells, which would happen at work and sometimes keep her from working. And these spells had gone undiagnosed, obviously, because she didn't have a way to get to a doctor, even though she was working. She wasn't part of any retailer's picture, and she wasn't part of any employer alliance. But she was finally able to buy some affordable coverage once we launched the Health Connector, and she was able to see a doctor and get diagnosed. It turned out she had epilepsy, and it was treatable. When she came to tell her story at our board meeting, she held up the bag of pills, which she was now able to buy through the retailer, and that was what was keeping her healthy and productively employed. On every front, she was doing the right thing, and we were supporting her in that. She was so happy to report on top of that that now she was going to be able to do the work it took to put her sons through college. I see this as a huge success story and it's an example of where government, insurers and retail all came together to address those big things that are the ultimate measures of our system, cost, quality and access. Are we providing that as a society? Why wouldn't we want to have 28 million more Eloises? I think we can do that if we have the will. We talk about Washington as kind of this thing over there. I want to say that's us, and we have to actually harness the collective will to demand that of our system. Because if we have that, we can address and drive change. We can do that in conjunction with retailers, but it needs to come from the polis, and that's us.
1: Thank you, Rosemary Day. And that concludes closing statements on the resolution, Retail Alliances, Not Washington, Will Save the U.S. Healthcare System. So, I want to announce our results. It's the difference between the two votes that determines who our winner is. Here are the results. Before, in the preliminary vote, 30% agreed with the resolution, 36% were against, 34% were undecided. That's pretty much a three-way split. Again, those are the first results. It's the difference between that result and what I'm about to announce that determines our winner. The second vote, the team arguing for went up to 49%. They pulled up 19 percentage points, which is the number to beat. The team arguing against the motion, their first vote 36%, their second vote 47%. They picked up 11 percentage points, but that was not enough to win. It means the team, we're declaring our winner, is the team arguing for the resolution, retail alliances, not Washington, will save the U.S. healthcare system. Our congratulations to them. Thank you for me, John Donovan, and Intelligence Squared U.S. We'll see you next time. This Intelligence Squared U.S. debate was held in partnership with the Mayo Clinic at its annual Transform Conference in Rochester, Minnesota. Robert Rosencrantz is chairman. Leah Mathau is chief content officer. Amy Kraft is director of operations and production. Che O'Mara is manager of editorial operations. Aaron Dalton and Rob Christensen are the radio producers. Damon Whittemore is the audio engineer. And I'm your host, John Donvan. These debates are made possible by generous contributions from listeners like you and with support from the Rosencrantz Foundation, David A. Coulter, Robert Epstein, the Christopher W. Johnson Charitable Trust, Ilona Namath and Alan Quasha, the George L. Orstrom Jr. Foundation, Jerry Orstrom, Kelly Posner Gerstenhaber, the Mortimer D. Sackler Foundation, Jennifer and Philippe Selendi, the Paul E. Singer Foundation, Edward Stern and Stephanie Raine, And Emily and Antoine Van Actmill from Intelligence Squared US and me, John Donvan, thanks to all of you.